0: context is everything let's step back a little to better understand what we've just heard in the gospel reading the parable of the wedding feast it might be familiar to some of you but it really begins if we're going to understand it we really have to go back this is chapter 22 of Matthew's gospel we need to go back to the start of chapter 21 and at the beginning of chapter 21 we've got the entry of Jesus into Jerusalem the Messiah comes into Jerusalem Jesus is coming in as the one who will give himself up this is just a few days before his death so he's coming in as the one who will give himself up in the face of violence and opposition the next bit of chapter 21 is the expulsion from the temple he goes into the temple and in the court of the Gentiles It's a marketplace. So all the people who are supposed to be there can't get in because it's become a marketplace, a place of capitalism, a place where money rules. And Jesus is furious, throws the money, changes tables over, throws them out. There's chaos. The leaders, the powers, the authorities don't like it. So they come to him in the temple and challenge him By what authority are you acting? So he asks them a question, and they refuse to answer. This is a critical moment. They are silent. They won't respond. The next part of the Gospel is the story of the two sons, where Jesus asks them a question. What's your opinion? One says he'll go, and doesn't go. And one says to the dad, I won't go, and then he goes which one has done the Father's will? He's trying to open them up. He's trying to engage them. He's trying to get them to come to their own understanding of what's really going on. And they find it impossible. He's opening them up, but they're not going along with it. And then we get to the next parable, which is really critical, the one just before the one we've read, which is the parable of the wicked tenants in the vineyard. And again... After he's told this parable, the story of a vineyard owner, you know, this, you know the parable, the vineyard owner um, goes away, he leaves it in the vineyard in the charge of tenants, and then he sends at harvest time some of his servants to collect his portion of the harvest. They get part of the harvest, and part of it goes back to the owner of the vineyard. And you know what happens. They won't welcome the, the servants, eventually they kill them. And he sends his son at the last and says they'll respect my son. Of course, the man must be mad. And they don't. They kill the son and take over the vineyard. Then he asks, Jesus asks a question what will he do to those tenants? And the chief priests, the leaders, the powers that be the authorities answer with murder, violence, vengeance, and retribution. And they say he'll bring those wretches to a wretched end and burn their town." That's their response, the human response. So what about today, the story we've just heard read? We've got to understand that our parable is a continuation of that. It's not a standalone. It fits into a wider, broader context. And the context is what we've just heard, this pattern of one coming in to give himself up To make a difference to change life so this parable tells a similar story but in a different and remarkable way the first thing we notice is that in the first sentence it says um, a bad translation of the original greek jesus began to speak to them in parables once again the original greek also means answering them he said so it's clearly making a continuation with what went before and then he says, This is about a king who gave a feast for his son's wedding. This is the son who is now dead. This is the dead son from the previous story who's now alive and heading up the feast. And we can read this. We know clearly. Of course, the gospel was written long after the death and resurrection of Jesus in the early years of the Christian community. So instantly the reader understands, oh, this is the son who was killed and is now alive. So he, this is the one who set himself up to die, came amongst them to die, and, and that's now heading the feast. He's the heir, and he's the focus of this, this whole moment, this whole feast. Then we get three attempts by the king to bring people in to the feast. And the first attempt is to everybody, including the murderers, including those who wanted vengeance and retribution in the first story. They're the very first people to get invited, and they don't go. So there's a second attempt, and they refuse a second time. And that, that invitation, the second time, includes the phrase, come to the wedding. But the original milehama in the original text is a play on words. Exactly that phrase, with a slight change, means go to war. Bizarre. It literally means go to war, or it could mean go to bread. The word actually means bread. Go to bread, go to the feast. And we'll come back to that. But it's important to say, come to the wedding, has another meaning as well but they were not interested so why weren't they interested well the excuses are really fascinating one went to his farm another went to his business if we look at luke's account of the same story one goes off he's got support some new land and another one has bought five yoke of oxen some different reasons these sound a bit bizarre don't they what kind of excuse is that when you've got a big feast to go to But it makes sense if we look at Deuteronomy. In Deuteronomy 20, there's conditions for not going to war. Excuses for not going to war. They're amazing. So it says, is there a man here who's built a new house? Not dedicated. Let him go home, lest he die in battle. Is there a man here who has planted a vineyard? And not yet enjoyed its fruit let him go home lest he die in battle is there a man here who's betrothed a wife and not yet taken her let him go home lest he die in battle so this go to war has got good excuses for not going to war and here we find excuses for not going to the wedding and then In Matthew's gospel we just heard then comes the violence and notice what's happening Jesus is taking the violent response from the first parable and inserting it into this story he's feeding back to the chief priests the elders the scribes the powers that be he's feeding back exactly what they would do what they've said they'll do the violence the aggression and collective punishment we're living through collective punishment at the moment Not us, but our world has collective punishment taking place. And that gospel reading says, he burnt their town. But we know that collective punishment is not part of the story because it's rejected totally in the actual event of the son being killed. When Jesus is crucified, there is no retribution. There's no violence. There's no destruction. There's no killing of anybody at all and then there's a third attempt to bring people in to the wedding and the, the servants are told go to the crossroads and this is the reconstruction of the sec- second parable of the two sons so the people who are at the crossroads are the ones who said no We won't go. These are the people who are not practicing their religion. The Crossroads was the place where the foreigners, where the non-practicing Jews were, because all the others, the good people, were right at the centre of the town in the marketplace. But these people kept to the edges, right on the edge. They weren't welcome. These are the people who said, no, I won't go. And then they're invited in, and they go. No excuses from the people at the Crossroads at all. Invite everyone. It says, that's the core of the gospel. Invite everyone. And the the reading from Matthew says, they collected together everyone. Collecting together everyone, the word is gathering. They gathered them. And the Greek word is ecclesia. Ecclesia means church. So this is the gathering together is the symbol of the church. It's what's happening. Gathering everyone together, everyone who is invited, Is brought into this place and it goes even further the bad and good alike now that's not what we think should be happening most churches are places that welcome the good not the bad here is Jesus telling a story where there is no moralism at all nothing it's not about how you've behaved who you're sleeping with who you're not sleeping with who you're Cheating who you're not cheating, who you're good with, who you're bad with, you're all welcome, you're all invited. And there's something about being at that invitation, being at the table, once you're there, that begins to change hearts. Well, that's what God hopes anyway. So, this place of banquet, shockingly, is not a place for the virtuous only. It's a place for everybody. It's not for the morally acceptable. This is for everybody. In the first reading that we had read, uh, that Clayton came up to read for us, Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah says, This feast this that I'm setting is for all peoples. There's no exclusion whatsoever. And in Isaiah 65, we've got some incredible words in the prophet Isaiah towards the end. He says, there's a scream almost from, from God, I said, this is the Lord speaking, I am here, I am here. And then it goes on to say, to a nation that remains silent, to a nation that would not respond. So here we've got this tradition of silence in the face of God saying, I am here, I am, which is what Jesus is doing. Jesus is Yahweh, the Lord, saying, I'm here. And they won't answer, they won't respond. So then we come to the difficult part which is the wedding garment which seems really strange and difficult but what's key in the wedding garment story the one man who didn't have a wedding garment is he was silent so this story is top and tailed with silence the jewish people at the beginning the leaders were silent And here we have another one again finishing this whole section who is silent and strangely enough in the prophet zephaniah we find exactly the same thing being said in chapter one of the prophet zephaniah those who turn aside who do not seek me not bother with me remain silent and all zephaniah goes on to say this in the face of this I have prepared a feast, a sacrifice, a banquet. That's why Matthew says, My oxen and my uh, cattle have been slaughtered, means sacrificed. So he's licking, Matthew's linking in with this Old Testament tradition that's critical here to try and understand this is not new, this isn't a story. What Jesus is doing is telling the history of the people. This is your history. Own it, and they would have understood it because they knew their scriptures back to front. They would have known straight away these references that Matthew's putting in here. But in in that question he says, Jesus says in in the story, the king says, my friend, how did you get here without a wedding garment? There is no hatred, no animosity, no violence, my friend. And it was a simple question. How did you get in? Well, I came in through the window, or the guards weren't watching, or they'd run out of wedding garments. There's an answer. And he gives no answer. He remains silent. This silence is absolutely critical. As I said, it tops and tails, this whole story. But the central theme, the core of it, is also the question of choice. Because we saw in uh, the previous parable of the vineyard tenants, the vineyard tenants go to war but in this parable the banquet guests go to feast so the previous parable go to war and in this one go to feast go to bread so what's being what's going on here jesus is presenting a clear choice what kind of choice are you making? this is the mille the word play on go to war go to feast so the leaders the leaders of the people those who have the power those who have the authority go to war they enact a holy war they enact a jihad they have a violent response and what's interesting is that's the parable but they will actually go out to do that they'll put that into practice when they kill jesus that is the process so they're not just saying well we the, when the king comes, he'll kill those tenants and burn the town down. That's what's in the heart, and that's what they do. They carry that out. But then the second parable is God invites everyone to a holy banquet. And there you have it. Make your choice. What do you want to do? Do you want to go to war? Or do you want to go to the banquet? Do you want to be part of that exclusionary group? That's got violence of the heart, or do you want to be part of the inclusionary group that's there to feast and celebrate? Where everyone's equal at the banquet? Everybody on the same level, eating the same food. So let's just notice something how at the moment, in the UK political situation, our civic leaders, and some religious leaders too, have chosen to side with those perpetrating oppression, aggression, and violence. And I'm thinking particularly about the violence against trans people and LGBT people coming from the Home Office and supported by everybody else in government, with very few exceptions. We have a choice, and the choice is between the holy war of vengeance and retribution and oppression, or the holy feast of welcome and inclusion so we're not reading stories here that are only about the past this is actually living right now we're living this parable in fact here we are enacting it this eucharistic feast is the feast of the son's wedding we're at it we're the guests we've said yes we've turned up we've made a choice we are to be the visible sign to church authorities Of the whole purpose of the gospel and it's the mission of Jesus to invite everybody in we are the gathering of those where there is no moralism only welcome and acceptance as fellow guests at the feast this is God's work no wonder open table is growing exponentially because it's not us doing it we are here as guests a hidden hand A hidden movement a hidden spirit bringing people together you might want to use this parable to understand a little bit about the present conflict in gaza and israel in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit